0: This is Our House by Our Humanity in Action, a podcast where activists tell stories about the first time they realized they had to get involved and what happened next. I'm your host, Nicole Ferraro. And then I said, okay, I got to get to work. I couldn't sit back anymore. This was me really standing up and saying enough.
1: We decided that we really needed to have an organized response.
0: I knew
1: I had to be involved. I wanted to help. Our stories are actually the biggest things that we had to make a difference. I feel like I've been an activist. I, I think just uh, when I was little, I would, I, and to this day, I still watch a lot of news. I think it was Pete Wilson's uh, Proposition One Eighty Seven in California was introduced, and I remember telling my mom like she got home from work, and I was like, "Did you see what they're doing? Like, they're gonna they're gonna hurt like our family, and it's gonna impact so many Mexicans over there, and it's so unfair." And I was so mad, and she was like, "You know, we'll write a letter," and I was like, "Who am I gonna write a letter to, psycho?" And she was like, "Write a letter to the president." And I was like, okay, that's a good idea because that's above him. So, like, let's see what happens. And she was like, and write a letter to him, too. You know, like, let's just write these letters. And we sat down and we wrote these letters. And, you know, one went to Bill Clinton and one went to Pete Wilson. And I remember thinking, like, oh, like, you could do something. You're listening to
0: Hasmin Chavez. Growing up as an undocumented immigrant from Mexico, Hasmin learned pretty early on in her childhood that her journey here in the United States, from where she went to school to how she paid for it and pretty much everything else, was going to look a lot different and be a lot harder than most of her peers. But that did not stop Hasmin from striving for her goals, achieving them, and doing everything in her power to help those in her community facing similar obstacles. And it's that spirit of tenacity, dedication, and empathy That continues to fuel her work
1: today. I was born in Juarez, Chihuahua, Mexico, which is um, the border city uh, across from El Paso, Texas. I I very much lived a life in Mexico and a life here in the U.S. And going back and forth with my parents and then just um, coming over, it would be really almost like an act, right? We'd have to, I'd either have to pretend to be asleep or pretend that I'm a citizen because I spoke English from a really early age. I mean, I always thought it was weird that we, were, we would like cross back and forth and my parents would be like, go to sleep, pretend, pretend you're asleep. And I'd be like, yeah, okay. For the first time that I realized I'm different, I was probably about four or five years old. The school had entered into like a competition to design a calendar for this bank. Um, from a really young age, I was really good at drawing. So I was a really good little artist. And out of all of the designs, mine was one of the designs that was picked to go into the calendar and they would also be made into holiday cards. My teacher tells me that I won, I'm incredibly excited. Um, and I remember coming home and telling my parents I was super excited that I had won. But on top of that, I had also run a $10,000 scholarship a couple weeks later we went to like a big banquet at like a like a fancy downtown building and they honored all the students who had won. They even gave out like those big fancy checks. And I I just remember thinking like oh my gosh, like how how great. And for me, I always just wanted to make my parents proud. And and I remember clearly seeing them and, and seeing how proud they were. The following week, um, you know, I'm out in the playground playing and my teacher Mrs. Moreno um, calls for me to come. You know, she sits me down, and, and she kind of, like, starts, um, you know, she starts, like, stuttering a little bit. She starts to cry a little bit. And, you know, when you're five, you're just like, what What did I do to, like, make my teacher cry? And, you know, she just flat out said, I don't know how else to tell you. you you're you not going to get that scholarship. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I won that. That's mine. She said, they, they're not going to give you the scholarship, and we don't know what's going to happen to the competition because you don't have a social security number. And when you're five, like, you don't know what that is. Like, really without skipping a beat, just being like, I have a number, and I just started rattling off a bunch of numbers, and she's crying even harder now, right? Because I'm just like, is it 11, 12, 13, 42? Just felt so disappointed, like, I had let my parents down somehow. Like, somehow me not knowing this number had let them down. And, you know, when I got home, my mom, you know, and my dad, you know, asked me, like, you know, how was your day? Um, We heard what happened. And they just had a conversation. And the thing that stuck out the most to me was, like, we're just not like everybody else. I remember thinking, what do you mean? Like, I am like everybody else. And they're like, no, you know, sometimes we have to work just a little bit harder. And we're going to have to work a little bit harder for a while. And so I remember thinking, okay, so my job is to be the best I can be. I'm going to succeed, and I'm going to win, and nobody will ever take something away from me ever again. I remember asking my teacher or my counselor, I said, what is it going to take for me to get into college on a full ride? And she was like, you're going to have to have great grades. They're looking for a well-rounded leader and a student. And I was like, I got it. Don't worry about it. I got this. And all through high school, I was involved in everything from student council, from cheerleading, golf, basketball, swimming, theater. I played the cello. I was in the marching band. I mean, there was no facet of high school that I really didn't touch upon because I was like, I will be the best candidate to get into that university. When one of my counselors said, how are you going to pay for college? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm just going to go. And they're like, they don't really admit undocumented students and you're going to have to pay international tuition. And again, I was just like, God, damn it. (laughs) You know, like I had worked so hard and I was like, oh my God, when does this let up? But I also just had, you know, I had a lot of support um, with my counselors and my teachers in terms of trying to help me navigate like, well, what comes next? Um, In a way that I think other Latino students probably didn't have because they weren't as open with what was happening with them. When I applied to college um, at CU Boulder, I got accepted, but I had just gotten my residency. And so I was fortunate to be able to come into CU Boulder on in-state tuition, but I had participated in a summer program. They had announced that they were going to give a full-ride scholarship, and then they kind of listed, we're looking for leaders and people who are like really intense on the academics, and I was like, yeah, that's mine. At the end of the program, my parents came up, and my dad had kind of like no idea, like he, he didn't know what it was, and so I told him, I was like, hey today that we're going to graduate on this program. And I just want to let you know that I got a Fulbright scholarship. And he was like, I don't know what that is, you know? <laughs> and so he was thinking, oh, well, like you got a car. And I was like, no, like we don't have to pay anything for the next four years. And he and I remember his face was just like so still. And then he starts like I I get emotional to think about it. He starts crying and I'm now bawling. Um, And my dad just looked at me and was like, like, how did you do it? You know, like, how did you do it? How did you get this far? But I remember when I went into college thinking like I was I was one of the few. This doesn't happen to a lot of us. And so. At that time is when we started to see the introduction of um, the federal Dream Act and the local Dream Act in Colorado. And so I really dove in into like the, we need to pass this. Like this has to pass because not all of us are going to have full rights scholarships. And also scholarships at the time, not all of them were open to undocumented students. And so I got really involved with like Latino uh, mentoring and supporting like Latino high school students in Boulder County, um, some in in Denver Public Schools as well. And we would take them to testify at the Capitol and we would come together with educators and we would really work hard. We would go into the churches and sometimes they would let us make a quick announcement. We're like, hey, if you're undocumented and you have questions about college, come talk to us. Then we would identify at least two or three like power leaders that we knew we could get their story out that they weren't afraid we knew that this was going to be a long battle a long hard battle but i don't think we ever anticipated at the at a federal level that it would have taken this long because we've gotten so close every time like we lose by like just a minimal amount of votes Um, Or they tie, like, these insane things to it, right? These insane spending bills or these insane rules to, like, yeah, well, the students can stay, but we're going to deport all your parents. And it's like, oh, my God. At a state state levels, we've had major victories with so many states adopting it. And even Colorado adopting it a couple years ago, you know, Jesse actually... My friend Jesse, who had been organizing communities for so long, was the one who introduced it in Colorado and was able to get it passed, right? And he he texted me that day and he was like, can you imagine? It took us 10 years in Colorado. It took a lot of time, like, just showing pride in who we are as a community. Like, we don't have to be bent down all the time. You know, like, we come from this amazing history of of you know whether it's Mexicans or Latinos Centroamericanos like like we are we deserve respect we have power and we have agency and we have talent and we have support to try to move forward Hasmeen continues
0: to organize as the digital director for the Center for Popular Democracy. We'll talk to her in just a moment about what CPD does, the important fights we should all be paying attention to and how you can get involved. Thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast um, and for telling us your beautiful story. You work at the Center for Popular Democracy. Can you tell us a little bit about your role there and um, briefly
1: what it is for anybody who might not be familiar? Yeah, of course. So the Center for Popular Democracy is probably one of the largest progressive national organizations here in the country. And the reason that they are so large is because we actually um, have 56 affiliates. So what that means is that we um, have these different organizations that are a part of our network um, that we support, whether through like different grants, through um, strategic trainings, um, whatever they really need. One of the biggest places you might have seen us was actually the first um, healthcare care fight. And you might have also seen us at the Brett Kavanaugh fight. Um, we came pretty hard for that. Ana Maria Archila, um, who is our co-executive director. We have four executive directors. Um, She was the woman who stopped Flake in the elevator. So we are just a very large progressive network. We have amazing partners as well who aren't affiliates, but we partner with um, to really kind of take on these big battles, both on the ground and in like the political policy space. Our work is to really, you know, within the organization, it's not just about managing like the external facing communications that you might see online, like our social presence and our emails, um, as well as like our press releases and our press statements. Um, But it's really working within our 15 campaigns. So at the Center for Popular Democracy, we have campaign areas that focus from climate change to hurricanes, um, to immigration, racial justice, um, criminal justice reform, uh, uh, fair work week, you know, pretty much like every battle um, or like every area that impacts like vulnerable communities across the country. And I don't just mean like communities of color. Like I also mean like rural, white, poor communities or just vulnerable communities in general. Um, and so part of our work as a digital director is to build out campaigns that bring awareness to Whether it's a policy or legislation that we're working on, whether it's an advocacy day, um, whether it's like a full out march or like a larger advocacy pool um, to events in D.C. or into like the affiliates local areas, we build out campaigns. Right. So that means if you get an email that's like sign this petition, that's a digital person behind it who is, you know, getting you to sign the petition and to really care and then pushing you along to like continue to stay involved. And then we also help build capacity for our 56 affiliates. So we do communications training, digital trainings for them. And we also build out digital tools for them to be able to be effective in their campaigns.
0: I'm going to ask you a very basic question that we may or may not care about. But people ask me all the time um, the effectiveness of online campaigns. So as a person who deals with them directly, can you let us
1: know on the record here? Like, are they useful? Why should we sign them? Super useful. I mean, um, we organ nonprofit or organizations and progressive organizations across the country, like we live off of our email list. So the very best thing you can do if you want to get involved at like a very basic level, sign up for our emails you might get a lot of emails depending on what is happening in the week. We try not to send out too many emails, but we promise they're informative emails. And they're also going to give you a chance to do something about something, right? Um, Whether you sign a petition, when people sign a petition, we're not just doing empty petitions to just get your information. That petition is connected to a target. We are targeting the most efficient target and specific target that we can to make a dent and to make noise and disrupt their day or disrupt whatever policy or disrupt whatever action they're taking. Um, and it works. Um, digital organizing absolutely works. You do, we just have to get your email, to be honest, and then we'll, we'll walk you through what you got to do next. So we are obviously heading
0: right into the 2020 election cycle, unbelievably. How is your work at the Center for Popular Democracy focusing on 2020 at the moment?
1: we are already trying to meet with all the candidates to kind of like explain to them like what the agenda is for like our members. We have a really big strategic vision for this campaign called like freedom to thrive and freedom to thrive is really this idea that like we should be all free to thrive in all areas of our life. We should have a home to thrive. We should have jobs that allow us to thrive an equal wage that allows us to thrive. Right. Um, And so within that larger freedom to thrive, um, agenda, we're really focusing this year on like medicare for all right we're really focusing in on making sure that there is a healthcare system that is like helping everybody and not just a few and that is efficient um because it's it's ridiculous that that this is happening um so we have medicare for all we are also focused on a really big housing bill we're looking at creating like a a bill that really protects renters across the country so that they can be secured like in their housing and then, of course, we're also supporting, like, the Green New Deal with Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. And we're also, we have, the under the Freedom to Thrive Agenda, a focus on a criminal justice reform legislation. But even, like, at a national level, we also are doing a lot of work locally. Um, we have this really great program within the Center for Public Democracy called Local Progress. And that is a giant cohort of all elected progressive leaders across the country and They are taking up, even though like the the larger federal battles are taking them up at a local level. Um, So whether it's like immigration reform work, whether it's housing work, they're taking these battles on and they're they're winning across the country and in their jurisdictions and in their states and in their cities. And so for us, that's also a big focus. We're like going back to the, the DREAM Act conversation, like it's taken us 20 years to get to another DREAM Act introduction But let's start it so that like our goal is to pass it within the next five years. So we know that we have like these really big policy goals, but we're ready for the fight. Like we know we're going to have to do this inch by inch, step by step, but like we're totally ready for it. A last
0: question for you then, um, the Center for Popular Democracy is involved in a ton of fights and has been very visible in some of the big ones, as you mentioned. If somebody is interested in getting involved somehow in, in your work, um, what, what should they do first?
1: I would tell you to go to the website, so populardemocracy.org. Sign up for our emails because you're going to get a glimpse of the work that's happening, not just with us, but with our affiliates across the country, our partners across the nation, like Women's March, Move On, Credo. I think that's the beauty of this moment is that maybe in the past you know we all kind of had like our differences as national progressive organizations, but now I want to say like we're all very much united. We might not always agree on the narrative, but all of us are coming in to fight whatever we have to fight at the drop of a dime, and and that's beautiful. So you're not just gonna plug into like what's popular democracy doing. We you're gonna plug into like what is happening at the national level, and then and there's also cpdaction.org. And that's our C4 wing, right? So we have a C3 and a C4 wing. If you sign up for our C4 wing at cpdaction.org, we're actually going to take you and funnel you into, if you want to, your closest affiliate. Yes, we want you to be informed at a national level, but we also want you to be super involved at a local level and supporting our local organizations because... Sure, like, we'd love your money. But we would love you to give that money to a local organization who is doing this on the ground. Um, so you can go on our website and you can see all the organizations that are a part of our network, and you can find whatever one is closest to you and get involved directly as well.
0: Yes, me and Chavez. I want to say thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast and for being in the world. You are incredible.
1: Oh, no. Thank you both so much. This was super fun. And thank you both for such a great podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Hasmin Chavez, for being on the podcast and for all of your work on behalf of the undocumented population and vulnerable communities everywhere. If you'd like to learn more about the Center for Popular Democracy and sign up for their newsletters, please visit populardemocracy.org. You can find links and social handles in the show notes to keep up with their work and Hasmin's work as well. Thanks for listening to this episode. This podcast comes from Art Humanity in Action and is produced and edited by Jeff Rose. Music is from Audioblocks. You can stay informed about future Art Humanity in Action live shows and find more episodes of the podcast at arthumanityaction.com. And if you like what you hear and want to help us help other people find our podcast and hear these activist stories, We'd love for you to leave a review or share an episode with a friend. It really makes a difference. In the meantime, thank you again for listening, and thank you for being in the world.